Hi, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of What's New in Data. Super excited about our guest today. We have Talia Moyal, Head of Product Marketing at Airbyte. Talia, how are you doing today? Doing good. How are you, John? Doing good, doing good. And uh, yeah, funny side story. We were uh, high school classmates at uh, Palo Alto Mm -hmm. High School. Had a couple years of overlap there. Yeah. Yeah. Full circle. (laughs) Exactly. And you know, our, our, our high school does have some famous alumni with like, you know, people talk about James Franco. They talk about Jeremy Lin, uh, a couple other, you know, famous athletes as well, but no one talks about the famous alumni in the data. ecosystem. <laughs> Working in school. data. <laughs> yeah, I know. We don't get enough. <laughs> yeah. We have, uh, uh, obviously us two very, very famous. Uh, everyone knows us. <laughs> and, uh, I believe, uh, also, um, Astasia Myers, who's a, a, a well-known venture capitalist in the space, is also a Pali alumni. Uh, Pali is the is the uh, the slang term for our high school's name, Palo Alto High School. So, just wanted to give the listeners context on that. But mm-hmm. yeah, fun to come full circle like this. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So. Uh, uh, you know, and, and Talia, you've had so many great roles. Uh, you've done outbound product management at Oracle. You've done product marketing at other SaaS startups. What drew you to leading uh, product marketing at Airbyte? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I got connected with Airbyte, um, a, like, I guess exactly a year ago now, right around the holiday time. And um, I had been working in the developer data tool space for a really long time. But um, John, one of our co-founders, reached out and uh, was basically like, tell me why you wouldn't join Airbyte. And I thought about it and I was like, actually, it's a great question. Like the market opportunity here is huge. Um, with every company is basically a data company. And for me, I was really interested in finding a product that I felt like could work for literally any SaaS application. And that very much felt like Airbyte to me. Um, and what they needed was in terms of the product marketing work was exactly what I had been working on. And so it felt like a really good fit there and the like culture and the team and everyone was also really wonderful. Um, so yeah, I jumped ship and joined Airbyte in February of last year. So like, a little under a year here now. Excellent. Excellent. And you know, you're obviously doing great work. It's, it's, it's impossible to work in the data space without hearing Airbyte's name come up. Um, <laughs> and, and, and of course it does have a great, community and, and ecosystem behind it. So we'd love to hear your take on, you know, how does the, you know, the strong community of Airbyte and, and then, you know, product marketing, how does that go together? Yeah, definitely. So it's a tricky balance, right? Like, um, I think we have a developer relations team, which is our community team. And then we have product marketing and, um, the way in which the two engage is really complementary, but you also have to be really careful in how you're talking to your community. So we actually have a lot of guidance around what types of um, either like emails or um, conversations we can be having with community members. And that's because we want to make sure that they always feel like they're getting value from their interactions with Airbyte and that you're not just selling them. Um, and I think that's where you get into 
kind of the split between community and product marketing. Product marketing is very much about how you're telling the product story and the like ROI story as strongly as possible to get people to actually purchase your product. And community is there to create awareness, um, to create like really good conversation with community and make them feel like they're part of something. And that like doesn't necessarily always include selling. So community teams often are just in forums or in like Slack channels or discourse um, and there to answer questions and create trust with a brand. Um, and so I'll oftentimes work with the community team in creating content um, or on events or um, like really anything any, any type of assist that they need in uh, tying back to product value when they're having conversations with users, that's where I'll kind of step in and help. Um, but it's really delicate, I would say, and every organization does it kind of differently. And, and I think that goes hand in hand with, you know, uh, community and open source supporting each other. And, you know, they, I, I, I would think that they're very related. And, you know, maybe you could tell me about, you know, what makes the open source angle so so powerful for you? Yeah, definitely. So Airbyte started as an open source product two years ago, and we launched our commercial offering in April of this last year. So we actually haven't had our um, Airbyte cloud offering that long. And um, I think the reason that Airbyte took off the way it did is really because it started open source. And um, like part of what's valuable there is you are creating a community of people who are contributing to something. So for us, the way our model works is anyone can actually add to the Airbyte platform or create a new connector, edit existing connectors. Um, and like we can abstract that away from Airbyte, take any open source offering. The purpose of it is to have people be contributing to it with code um, in some way. And that creates an environment where you can kind of like try before you buy or just like look under the hood of what you're using. And I think that creates a lot of trust with developers. Um, it's also a way to create extensibility in a solution, which is something we talk a lot about at Airbyte. So um, like again, ELT, for example, um, if you think about the ecosystem as a whole and the players who have been here for the longest amount of time, for the most part, they've been closed source solutions. And I think you you hit a point where you can no longer expand your product offering at the speed at which the market needs it. And that is why Airbyte has been so valuable is we're able to grow our connector catalog at a really high speed. Um, and that is 100% our community. So we had Hacktoberfest about a month ago, um, basically incentive uh, for our community members to create new connectors. And we ended with something like 150 new connectors that were created in a month and wow. like that's the size of a lot of elt products um connector catalog as a whole and so if you take that and you know obviously we're going to continue to invest in um, our community members and continue to have an open source product um i think it, it becomes very clear that that is the fastest way to get people um what they need when it comes to like data integration yeah, and I think there's just no debating the power of you know the having a great open source community and just you know that uh, example that you mentioned of you know you 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 outsource maybe you don't call it outsource with the open source community but you know you you open yeah. source the the addition of new <laughs> connectors um, you know because the community is almost like an extension of the, the the product so you know you 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 open source the uh, addition of new connectors and you you were able to add so many so quickly because. You know, uh, it's all about transparency at the end of the day. Right? 
right? Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. And I think the um, I think the only pushback that you can not the only pushback, but some of the the like biggest um, I think problem that people have with open source and something that we try to address. And it's not to t- be taken lightly, but like you think about reliability when it comes to having a like really large group of people be contributing to a code base. Um, And I think that's where it's on the companies to make sure that there are practices in place um, to like test secure, reliable connectors. And so um, again, you can abstract that away from ELT as a whole, but I think if you have products that are open source, you'll always have them as kind of the like winners on innovation or um, like speed at which product velocity can happen. Um, but then you do need to take a step back and make sure that the integrity of the product is still um, like the standard that you want it to be. And that's, I think, going to be our next challenge is making sure that, yes, we have all this growth, but we want to make sure that everything that people are using related to Airbyte is um, still the quality that we want it to be. Absolutely. Ed, you know, so from one perspective, um, from one side, you have the, the the community and the open source product, and then you also have the commercial product, and you're supporting that with with product marketing as well. So, like, how do you see those uh, those requirements differing? Yeah, definitely. So it's interesting because with a lot of the developer and data tools right now, everyone has this like PLG motion, right? You want to have a self serve product that anyone can use, even like open source, commercial, whatever it is. Um, That said, I think the commercial side of the business is still um, more heavily skewed towards enterprise marketing. And like that is more traditional, like case studies, showing buyers what value they're getting from using a product, showing them how many hours they've saved um, or like cost savings, things like that, Um, more geared towards security and uh, making sure that um, the sales teams are enabled in the way that they're talking to customers, things like that. That, I think, is a much more traditional um, marketing motion uh, that we've had for many, many years. The open source piece is very much more community-led and, like I was mentioning earlier, like an assist that I have with our developer relations team and I think a lot more of a content play. So it's about just creating really high quality content for users so that like, I mean, you mentioned it's hard to not hear Airbyte um, in the data space and like, that's what we want, right? We want people to be talking about us and that's from us placing like really good content in different places or being in forums or wherever people are asking questions, um, meetups, events, things like that. Um, and that motion looks very different, but I think we're all still trying to figure it out. Like I talk to go to market folks all the time. Um, and I don't think anyone has a playbook yet for PLG, especially PLG and how to support commercial and open source products. Um, so kind of figuring it out as we go, but this is my, uh, second or third time working on a product that's open source, um, and like trying to be self-serve in the developer tool space. So, feeling like we're getting closer to a playbook. Absolutely. And, and, and I couldn't think of a better person to, to execute this strategy, uh, given your experience <laughs> there and, and, and just hearing you talk about it on, uh, on this podcast. I mean, I think that there's, you know, uh, there's real value to having, you know, uh, a frictionless, uh, product onboarding experience. And, and I think that that goes hand in hand with what the, you know, the community content, the technical content, the developer relations content. But then at some point, you know, as, uh, as the use case matures, has to go through a buying cycle or depending on the size of the company. 
And that's where, you know, the things you mentioned, such as, you know, uh, calculating return on investment, how much time are we saving by investing in this product? Uh, you know, uh, security review, like th- those things are all very standard, uh, part of a very enterprise uh, procurement process, right? Yeah. And, and, and that's something that's, that, that, that really doesn't, you know, fall under the scope of like community content and like developer yeah. relations content because it's just such a different persona at the end of the day, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, and it's, I mean, it can be a little bit less fun sometimes. Um, it's, you know, like uh, it's more cookie cutter, I guess. Um, but it is super valuable and I think um, like shouldn't be forgotten as we're like going through this PLG motion with everyone. Absolutely, absolutely. And, uh, and, 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 you know, since we're talking about, you know, uh, uh, community motions and procurement motions, all these, all these different ways of uh, getting value out of a, a product, you know, how should, you know, at the end of the day, we're, we're, we are building products for data engineers and, you know, there's all, there's so much choice right now in the data industry, probably more than there ever has been before. I, I, I always refer back to the uh, episode we did with uh, Matt Turk, who has a famous uh, landscape of data tools. And it's literally microscopic at this point where you have to look at it. Yeah. You, you need a magnifying glass to see like all the vendors <laughs> in the data space now. So what's your advice to data engineers who are evaluating uh, uh, data tools? Yeah. Um, so we think about this a lot actually. And uh we have we've been working on a paper coming out soon kind of explaining like how we think about purchasing ELT tools. Um, but I think the biggest thing that I tell people, and um, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, is on the extensibility piece. So I think like with the explosion of data that we have and all the different use cases that people need data for and the way that um, the stakeholders are evolving. So like, you know, we had software engineers responsible for um, data integration. Now we have um, data engineers, I think that'll soon go to like data analysts and ops and things like that. There's all these different moving pieces and you want to make sure that whatever solution you're using is going to fit into those moving pieces without having to completely build a homegrown solution. So it's kind of this like best of both worlds, like want to buy out of the box, but also want it to be extensible enough to work with all the needs that I have. Um, And so that's the like number one thing I tell people, like make sure your solution is extensible. What does that actually mean? It's like being able to build upon a product, being able to um, like create a new use case using an existing product, um, customizing a platform, Applied to ELT, all of that happens if you have an open source solution. Um, and for us, that's like creating new connectors, editing existing connectors, editing the Airbyte platform. So that's one thing I tell people. Um, the other piece that I think is really important is actually around trust. And I think this means a lot of things to different people, but it's not just about the like uptime of a product. It's like the reliability, um, making sure that it actually does what it's supposed to do and making sure that there's a community of people around it um, that are going to continue to innovate on a product. So I think like you can have an amazing product, you can have an extensible product, but if you don't have people who are going to help innovate around it or like want to bet on that, then you don't really know the future of that product. Um, and that I think goes hand in hand with the reliability piece because the more community you have around something, the more people are um, kind of vetting that it does what it's supposed to do. Um, and again, ties back to open source. It's like 
we have a bunch of people who are always working on our platform. It's on us to make sure that those people are contributing to it in a way that um, is like stable and reliable. Um, and I think those are like the the two really big things that I anchor around for people. Um, security is obviously a really big one and like could be a conversation of its own. I'm also Absolutely. not an expert on this, but um, yeah, definitely like, like we just went through our GDPR compliance and uh, SOC 2, ISO 2700, one, all of that. Um, and I think like that is more and more becoming super important to people. Um, and we want to make sure that like whatever product you're using is adhering to those kinds of standards as well. Absolutely. And, you know, and it sounds like there's a lot of categories in terms of how you should go about evaluating the product. But one of the important things that you mentioned was, you know, that extensibility and ultimately, and and I've talked to chief data officers about this as well, where, you know, they don't want too much fragmentation in their, in their internal stack of tools, right? Like they want, they want to standardize on a few uh, uh, products. But at the end of the day, there's also like this this one uh, competing factor, which is, you know, not one tool can uh, solve all use cases, but it is important to consolidate as much as possible under under one product. And, and I think that's when extensibility is, is, is critical. Uh, yeah. Like you mentioned. Yeah, for sure. And this is actually a trend that I think we've been seeing. So um, I started my career in the um, like data observability space, right? I didn't start it, but I spent a majority of my time in the data observability space. And there was something that we saw there early on, this idea of a single pane of glass. So having all of your um, like metrics, traces, logs in one place to understand software performance. And very quickly, people realized you couldn't have everything under one product, you needed to pick your favorites. And I think we're seeing that here now, um, but in a really different way. I think like with data integration and um, like data infrastructure as a whole, you need to have your building blocks and your foundation, but people do want that modularity to be able to pick and choose what they want, but they don't want like tens and tens of products. They want, you know, three to five that are going to do everything really well. Um, so it's, it's going to be interesting to see the consolidation that happens in the data space. Um, I do this. It's, a full, it's coming full circle for me oh, um, in the next few years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and and speaking of consolidation in the in the data space, uh, so there there is a trend around something that was coined as reverse ETL. Uh, yeah. And reverse ETL is great. It has a lot of value. There's also a lot of overlap with general data integration. So do you think reverse ETL should be its own category? It's a good question. Um, I don't. I think uh, I think reverse ETL was very much a marketing term when it started. And don't get me wrong, the products out there are incredible. They do really great things. Um, but it's just another form of data movement. And that's like, it's it's... I mean, it is what it is. Reverse, extract, load, transform, um, all of that process. And to me, that's just like one tool doing data movement for you. And I think that it would be the most powerful to have the ELT tools be doing everything in one. You shouldn't have to think about what source or destination you're moving data from. It should just be like moving from point A to point B. um, And that's what you're doing with reverse ETL. It's just like moving from data warehouses back into your analytics tools, CRMs, whatever it is. Um, And so I don't think it should be its own category. I think it's just another uh, form of data movement. 
And, and that makes total sense. Uh, you know, there there's certain deviations of the traditional data integration pipelines where now you're feeding data from, you know, uh, uh, a warehouse to an application. But at the end of the day, like you said, it's just moving data. Uh, there's always little gotchas and caveats when you're connecting two data systems, even if they're just two databases that are both using JDBC. I mean, there's, yeah, you know, they all have their, their gotchas. So at the end of the day, you know, it does seem like reverse ETL it, it is, you know, another way of saying data integration or, or, or data movement. Um, so, so that's a really good point. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, Talia, thank you so much for joining uh, today's episode of What's New in Data. Uh, really appreciate all your insights. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for having me. 